Grab your Bibles. I hope you have your Bible with you. You ought to. You're in church. You should have your Bible with you. Bring, uh, as you open your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, if you care to, if you uh, are aware of it and would care to follow along in any kind of way or jot some notes down, the back side of your bulletin has a handout on it. I think I tried to include most of the scripture that we're going to cover in any given morning. Plus, give you some space to write some notes if you care to. I had originally intended that uh, for this text, we were going to, I kind of broke into two different parts, and we're going to spend uh, part of it today and part of it next week. Uh, but the, as I began to study for it, the, uh, the entire section kind of hangs together, and I don't really know how to break it. And so I didn't. I'm gonna, we're going to read uh, verses 7 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4 today. And uh, just to kind of give you... Uh, not that it really matters that much, but give you the, the heads up intentions or plans are that next week we'll read the exact same section again and uh, finish the rest of the text. We will not be able to cover all of it in one day today. Um, there's just far too much here. Well, let's dive in. We have uh, this time given to us, and I don't want to take time making other words. Uh, it is the word of God that is precious to us and instructive to us. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Follow along carefully. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, those two verses, the last ones I just read, verses 9 and 10, I don't know if your Bible actually did this or not, but they are a parenthetical statement to the first uh, verses there, 7 and 8. So they should be read that way. If your Bible didn't put parentheses around them, uh, that's how you should read them. Verse 11 now. And he gave, Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the text this morning. Thank you that you, by your Holy Spirit, will illuminate it to us, and I pray that's exactly what happens. Would you feed us from your word this morning, God? May we be satisfied. May we understand. May our eyes be open. May our ears uh, hear. May our minds understand. But more than anything, may our hearts, may we be inexplicably drawn to you, Jesus Christ, by the reading and teaching of your word. If anything else is the result, it is not what you intended. And so I pray in your name, Jesus, against the work of the enemy to distract, to divide, to uh, disengage, to uh, make us not care about it, or otherwise, whatever else other things may be coming into play this morning, I pray against it in Jesus' name so that your word may be taught and understood. I fully understand, God, that does not just come through my words, although I pray that you would anoint the words that I'm about to say. But I know that your spirit is and does speak to all of us, helping us to understand, even as uh, I'm up here talking. And I thank you for that. I praise you for that. I love that about you. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this text, uh, in typical Paul fashion, you hear me say things like this all the time. Uh, this text has some, uh, some sentences that Paul does what he always does. He, he, he's starting something, he just kind of keeps adding to it and puts a comma there and says something else. And they make it sometimes, sometimes kind of difficult to chew through or to, to fully parse, and we'll do the best we can to get through it. This morning, I have uh, two main points I want to make, but I want to emphasize for the entire section here uh, that there's a couple of keys that I think we want to take away, because we get, we get lost in that as we go through, and we pick things apart, and we, we talk about this, and we talk about this, and we talk about, we get lost in how it all is meant to fit together, or what it's all supposed to say uh, to us, and so I've entitled my message, Grace 
to grow because I think that's the intention or the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate to us as he writes these words. Again, just step back, big picture kind of stuff. I think it's helpful for us to be continually reminded. He spent a lot of time in the first couple of chapters telling us a lot of theological kinds of things. Now, they had some application in them, but a lot of theological kinds of things about who we are in Christ, the work that Jesus really has done, how we have access, how we're united, all of those things. And now he's going to turn the corner a bit and say, here's what this means for you as a church. Now, of course, it's what it means to us as individuals because we make up the church. But here's what it means to us as a church body. So this morning, we are a church body. We're a local expression of the global body of Christ. And God wants to instruct us through his word. He's using the word. He's used a guy named Paul, and he wrote down these things. And he wants to get us to understand some things. And I want us to see as we go through all of this that the intention is that in God's grace, that as God gives grace out to us, It is intended for us to grow. Now, the word that shows up multiple times in Ephesians, I entitled the entire series, Walk as Children of Light, because you see that word walk a lot, and that gives the intention of movement, and the word grow goes right with it, is there's something that's supposed to happen. There's a result that's supposed to happen. Now, I want to be careful when I say this, because it may incriminate or may uh, step on my own toes, but I think that we ought to see a a result or a pattern in our lives that as we continue to uh, go to church and continue to read the Bible and hear it taught and be with other believers, as we continue to live life, we should continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what scripture says. Now, I understand, I'm, I'm with you in the, in the pew, so to speak. I understand that we don't ever see like linear kinds of things where we just are here and we are going to hear, and we just like, that's not, that, at least that's not, what my, that's not what my life looks like. My life looks like a lot of this, right? And it's sometimes a little bit of backtracking, and sometimes it's caught in this little circle that I can't seem to get out of, and then finally I get over the hump, or all kinds of stuff. But hopefully, as time goes on, which in our scope of things, in our, in our, like, in our viewpoint of things, as time goes on, it's, it's us getting closer to being in glory. It's closer to being to Jesus. As time goes on, that we are growing in our faith, that we are growing in our maturity, that we are understanding Scripture more and more, and we are being more and more obedient to Scripture. That's the goal. Unashamedly, I think that ought to be goal. And I think, quite possibly, there are some times where it almost seems as if we as churches forget that that is, after all, the fundamental goal. Like we somehow seem to think we exist for other purposes. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they are. To make us feel good or to pat us on the back or to, you know, just keep us uh, feeling happy and content or to, uh, you know, I don't know, be part of a club or have some place that we can hang out with people that are like us or I don't know. And we would never say that out loud. I mean, I just did, but we would never really say that out loud and mean it, Right? But by example, and it's, I'm not, this is not an indication of, of you in the sitting in the pews. It's an indication, of, I think, of, of church leadership. We somehow sometimes just sort of forget that. We, that ought to be said a lot more often. Our intention, I want it to be explicit. Our intention, my intention, my calling to teach the word of God to a, a local body of believers is that we grow in it, that we grow. And God, through Jesus Christ, supplies that grace that's what we are going to jump into. Well, there's two main verses or points I want to make this morning. We're going to make some sub-points behind that. But I want to start with that very first verse. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, when I said it just there, I didn't really do it on purpose, but it actually turns out to be handy that I did because I actually didn't read the entire verse. I missed a word. Anybody catch the word I missed? Probably not. It's okay because I'm just i talking really fast and you're just trying to catch up and stay with me here. It was the very first word, actually, the word but. Why did Paul say the word but? You remember last, well, two weeks ago and the week before that, and I, 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 we, we, we sort of camped out on this, this theme that, that Paul was developing. The first thing he began to talk to us as he talked about application was this whole idea of unity. And I, maybe you thought I went overboard. Maybe you thought I was beating a dead horse. You were like, Merlin, stop talking about this. But we, we just sort of over and over, I, I kept emphasizing to us that there's something here that Paul wants us to see about how we're supposed to be united. He uses the word one all the time. There's... 
There's one hope to which you've been called. There's one spirit. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one faith. There's one God. There's one, there's one, 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 one. And I kept asking, why does Paul insist on keeping talking about this, this subject? And I think it's because we're going to be introduced today to some of the reasons that Paul knew why it's so necessary to talk about the unity within the body. And I would submit to you that he's aware of that by using that word, but. I mean, he just finished with, I mean, let your eye travel back. He just finished with some lofty and, and really great sounding words. We are supposed to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. And that all sounds great and wonderful. And the next word out of his mouth is, but, but. And then you read it and you think, well, that's actually a good thing. God, grace was given to all of us. Isn't that a good thing? Grace was given to every one of us? As we begin to understand what Paul is going to say through this uh, next part of this text, I think he's revealing the reality that the difficulty in unity within the body often is a result of a couple of things. If we are growing by the grace that God gives us, for some reason, God has decided in his sovereignty that his grace in our lives doesn't all make our lives all work out exactly the same, does it? Like, in other words, uh, we're not all in the same place in our journey of understanding who Jesus is, and we're not all in our same place of, of obeying what Jesus told us to do, right? You look around the room, we're not a very big congregation, but yet when you look around, there's people here that are in all different places of their walk with Jesus. Some of it's due to age, like literal, like actual age, right? Little children, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. name the decade. Some of it's due to that, but not even all that's due to that because you can have a 50-year-old that's not anywhere in the same place that a 20-year-old is depending on what their life experience has been, depending on what, what God is, depending on the grace that has been given to them, right? And believe it or not, and I think you do believe it if uh, you're willing to admit it, believe it or not, that makes it kind of hard sometimes to do church together because we don't all see things the exact same way. We're not all as mature as others. And, and I want to be careful with words like that because we sometimes actually say, yeah, I believe that, and I'm way up here. And, and over and over again, from my experience of reading the Gospels, Jesus had the most trouble with those people who thought they were up here in maturity. <laughs> Let me just say that. Jesus had the most trouble with those who thought they were up here. So let's be a little careful as we have this maturity talk about the different scales we're on, about where we put ourselves on that scale. The other reality is, the thing that I think that Paul is getting us to, is that as the grace is given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, is referring to the fact that Somewhere inside of us, as Jesus gets a hold of us and begins to work in us and he begins to draw out some of those things that he created in us, because he is our creator, and he redeemed us to be able to use for God's glory, are these different giftings or leanings or ways we look at things, these different slices of the pie, these different parts of the body, as language scripture uses, these different things that all of us do that make us see the world a little different than the rest of us or than others may. And that can also be difficult, can't it? I think it's why Paul starts off by saying, there's this great oneness, there's this unity, and we're supposed to strive to maintain that unity. But let me tell you, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, and that makes it a little more difficult. Now, we're going to do a little aside because I want to treat the next couple of verses here. As Paul is making his point about the fact that we all have different things, he says, let me give you a verbal picture that you can understand. And he says, the verbal picture I'm going to give you is the picture of a general who went to war. And this is a little bit of my paraphrase, but he's quoting a, a scripture here, actually. But a general who went to war, and he, uh, he, he captured the enemy. He took the spoils uh, of, of that enemy. He came home in triumphant procession with the captives that he had released or the people that he had brought, made, set free, for example, or there's a spoil that he brought with him. And when he came back into his own place and his own people, he handed them out. And, of course, we all understand that 
in those environments that when the general or the leader of the army comes back and he hands out, he, he shares the spoil, he does so how he wishes, right? To these he gives this, and to these he gives this, and to these he decides to give this. And uh, rarely does he do that in what we would today call a very socialist or communist or socialist kind of way where everybody gets the exact same thing. He says, you get this, and you get this, and, and people through the world, through the ages, have struggled uh, with, with those kind of mindsets. We're no different than that. But that's what we're going to begin to rub into because he says, this is the picture I want you to give. Now, he quotes what he actually quotes. Let me just re- give you the scriptural quotation. Paul quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. You ascended on high. This is a messianic psalm, by the way. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And I love this verse because the last part of that, the last part of that, you notice the last part of that, that verse there? If you've been paying any attention in our study of Ephesians so far, that's been a point that Paul has tried to repeatedly make to us, that we are together, we're together, we're together, so that we can be a suitable, what? Dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Go back and read chapter two, and you'll see exactly those words I just said to you. Together, we together are a suitable dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Not individually, but together are a suitable dwelling place. And here, this verse, way back in Psalms, when God inspired the psalmist to write these words about Jesus, who was going to be way down the road, I love the fact that he used those same, that same kind of language. He said, Jesus, uh, when he ascended on high, and he's leading a host of captives. And in the psalmist says he's receiving gifts among men. Paul turns it around and says, he gives his gifts to men, that the Lord God may dwell there in their midst. Now, let's treat the parenthetical statement real quickly before we move on. And we do want to move on, so we keep on trucking here. There, I just want you to let you, let you know, there is some debate on what those verses mean. When he says, in saying he ascended, he also descended. And many people think that refers to Jesus' uh, descension into the lower parts, into hell, if you want to put it that way, when he died. That what this is referring to is his, his death, his burial, and his subsequent resurrection. Uh, there are people that, that believe that, and I don't, I mean, there's, you can, I, I don't know, I'm not really necessarily going to argue about that. I would tell you that it's fairly clear from verse 10 when he says that he ascended up into the heavens, it's referring to his ascension from earth to heaven. So I would tell you more correctly, most likely, it's refer- he's, what Paul is referring to, his descension is from uh, heaven down to earth. In other words, his incarnation. That Jesus left the Father's side and put on human flesh and walked as a human being on earth. So what does it mean? If, if it's, in other words, he's saying, if, it, if we're talking about him ascending... When he ascended, he, he gave out his gifts. When Jesus went back into glory and the angel said, just as you saw him come, you're going you're gonna to see him come back. And when he went back into glory and he handed out his gifts, what does that mean except for that he obviously had to descend? What he's trying to address is the, is the heresy that was beginning to unfold there, uh, not necessarily in, in Ephesus specifically, but in the church, that Jesus didn't actually ever come, that God didn't actually ever come down that Jesus uh, wasn't truly the Son of God. And Paul said, no, no, that's not true. If we're going to say that he ascended, you have to recognize that he descended. He came here. He lived among us. He de- t- tabernacled. He dwelt among us. And when he did, he was killed. He was resurrected. And he ascended again. Now, all of that should remind us, I hope, and just a really quick trip, because I think it's important for all of us to continually be exposed to the gospel is for us to recognize that we not only are among those captives who were released when Jesus came, when he, when he descended and after he ascended, we were, those, just, we were not just among those captives that were released, we were also among his own people who received the spoils. Just a quick trip, Jesus' own words referred to this. He said in Luke 4, 18, as he stood up in the temple, he said, he quoted Isaiah this time, he said, he has sent me, God has sent me, he has sent me, I came, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Who was that, by the way? Who was that? Who did Jesus come? The, who were the captives that he needed to set free? Who were the blind that needed to see? Who were the oppressed that needed to be set at liberty? Come on, we can say that. That was me. That was you too, but that was me. I needed to be set free. Paul has spent lots of time with it. You also once walked in the darkness like the Gentiles did. You also used to be bound. You also used to be dead. Right? But Jesus came to set you free. 
So the picture he gave you, he Paul is saying, I'm giving you an accurate picture. Jesus sent by God. Why was he sent? He was sent because there was people held captive by their sin and by their own flesh and by their selfishness and by the enemy, Satan. And Jesus came to set them free. And in Colossians, Paul makes the exact same point. Let me just read those verses to you really quickly. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses, you, put your own name in there, me. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing. There's that, there's that, that battle language again. By triumphing over them in him. Paul loves this picture. It's an accurate picture. He loves this picture. Maybe difficult for those of us who claim to be a good Mennonite Anabaptists who are uh, non-resistant because Paul repeatedly refers to this, this triumphal procession, this, this battle that Jesus did. He refers to it in 2 Corinthians. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. Look at the next phrase. Same words we just heard. In triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. By some incredible genius way that God does things, that only God can do things, we are the captives that were set free. We were part of that glorious procession back, but we also have received the spoils of what the captain, the general, the king, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, has taken away from the enemy. I would remind you, by the way, it was the enemy who first stole them from God. And he gave gifts. By grace, he gave gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. Remember the parable Jesus said? He said, this is like this. There's a man who gave out talents. He gave out things to his servants. Matthew 25, 15. I just want to say this one more time so that we can, we can make sure it's, it's in our head as we continue with the rest of today. To the one, Jesus said, he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. You know, I love what happens sometimes when you take one, I, and I, I'm a big believer in putting, keeping verses in context. I don't believe in taking them out of context, but I love what happens when you take a verse and it's in the middle of a, a big story, and so we kind of just read it all together and we pull it out, and you see how clearly Jesus is talking about himself. Look at this. He's standing there telling a story to his followers, but he's clearly talking about himself. He says, I'm going to tell you a story. It's about a guy, and, and when he, he's, he's about to go on a long journey, so he gives these talents out, and he gives five to one and two to another and one to another person, and then he went away. Is that not literally what Jesus did? <laughs> right? He died, was resurrected, and then he handed out talents, gifts, according to Paul here, according to his grace, according to how he decided, according to what he thought, according to what he knew would work with us. Why did he do it the way he did? I don't know. It's his discretion, Right? He handed out the ones he wanted to hand out to those he wanted to hand them out to. And then he went away. Now, if you continue reading the parable, you know that he's going to come back again someday. And he's going to want to know what we did with those things we received. That's not the point of the message this morning, but it is instructive. And maybe you want to spend time with it this week. Let me make my second point that I want to go to because this is where we're going to uh, spend the rest of our time in this morning in the following verses. And there's a lot here, which is why I wasn't quite sure how to break this apart. We're going to be, I'm just going to warn you. Hope this doesn't leave you feeling very awkward and dissatisfied at the end of the day. We're going to get into this, this big whole last text. We're going to get into it, and we're going to have to stop part of, part of the way through. Uh, hopefully, we'll whet your appetite and maybe cause you to do some of your own thinking and studying about it. Then we're going to come back next week, Lord willing, and talk about it some more. He gave. Jesus gave. According to his grace, the intention was for us to grow, for the church to grow, for disciples to be made and to grow into maturity. He gave, he says here, Paul says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I think it's a great shame. Let me just say this before I continue. I think it's a great shame that uh, even on this verse right here or in this section that there's been a lot of division among the church and we have spent a lot of time, we've wasted a lot of time, if I can just be so bold, we've wasted a lot of time talking about how, what this means and, and where we fit on this and how this comes out. And we've, 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 I think we've done wrong things out of, out of it on both sides of the table. You hear me say things like this all the time. And I'm not talking about uh, finding the middle ground between darkness and light. I'm recognizing that even as we look at Scripture, us as God's people, 
we often tend to be way over here or way over here, and both are wrong. That there's tensions that are held in Scripture that are meant to put us in the middle. And for some reason, here's one of those places, because there's people who look at these kinds of things and, and say, well, that to me means that there's all kinds of great things that God uh, gives to me, and uh, we do things like put capital letters in front of those phrases, apostle and prophet and evangelist and shepherd and teacher, and we think it somehow means that God has given us some incredible gift that uh, we're more inspired or more uh, influenced than other people are, and, uh, and we, we do all kinds of wrong, excessive things based on that. And I would tell you that's not what Paul has in mind. I quite frankly don't think any of us should put any capital letters in front of our names in title. And I know my audience fairly well, I think. So I know many of us are going to be right on the amen corner when we talk about apostles and prophets because we've seen a lot of people twist those things. I would suggest to you that we should be just as abhorred by it with pastors who are willing to put a capital P in front of their name pastor. That's my opinion. That's one of the reasons I resist it. I know some of you call me Pastor Merlin, and that's fine. I don't, I don't get mad at you about that. But if you ask me, I won't tell you to call me that. You should call me Merlin. That's my name. I am a pastor. I'm a teacher. That's what God has called me to do. But any time... And I'm using that phrase, a capital letter in front of that because of just kind of what comes with it. But any time that any of this makes us put any of the attention on us, it's wrong. I remind you the words I read first is, but to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's at Jesus' discretion to do what he, what he wants to with the giftings that he hands out and the things he does. Now, I will tell you, it is also my position this morning that the opposite of this is just as bad because there are people who would want to say in some kind of defense or guard against people who take the apostleship and the prophetship and the evangelistship, but that's not words, but want to put capital letters in front of there, that they say, well, I just believe those things don't exist anymore. I, I just reject all of it out of hand. We don't have those anymore. And I would tell you that is... That is on the other, that's in the other ditch. That's my perspective, and I'm open to having conversation. That's on the other ditch. Why else would it be in Scripture? If I'm pushing buttons, and I can sometimes do that up here, and I don't want to do that unnecessarily, but if I'm pushing buttons, again, I think, I know the audience I'm speaking to, so I think we probably all pretty much say amen to the apostle and prophet side of things. I told you I think we should abhor about the shepherds and teachers. I, I find it, I find it highly unlikely and nigh unto impossible that this kind of Holy Spirit-inspired listing comes and now only half of it's true anymore. Does that mean we don't have room to figure out what it means? Oh, I think we have a lot of space to figure out what this means. Perhaps we can agree this morning that Paul is simply, uh, if I can put it this way, he's, he's helping us to see that uh, we are motivated by different things. We tend to focus on different things. We tend to be driven by different things. There's, I used the phrase earlier, slice of the pie. There's different parts of what God is doing as he's promoting the gospel and bringing people in the kingdom and helping them to grow. There's different things that resonate within us that say to us, that's my part. That's what, that's what I love to do. And our problem is when we seem to think that's the only part. You see, when I see that Jesus gave these gifts, I see that he gave people to be apostles. You know what the word apostle means? It's a delegate. It's one who is sent. Jesus was an apostle himself. Now, of course, Jesus was all these because he was God. I hope you understand that. We are not, so we're not all these. We may have pieces of multiple of these for sure. There's some of them we are much stronger though. But he's a delegate. An apostle is someone who is an ambassador, someone who is sent into a foreign environment for the purpose of representing or establishing uh, the place where he was sent from. And there are people who are, who are, I could use the word gifted perhaps, but are motivated or that's how they look at life. You know, quite frankly, I think in the church, uh, maybe in our, our, our realm of the church, uh, we see a lot of apostles. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't ask them to operate in that realm of the church. 
In the economic world, I think we call them entrepreneurs. They're constantly starting new businesses. They're constantly seeing uh, there's, there's a need and, and it's not there, it's not being met. There's something that needs to be, need to be done and so they pioneer some kind of work. Most times when you see those people, once it's there, what happens? Once, there may be a few entrepreneurs here in this group this morning, by the way, that, that once you've started a new venture and it's, and it's up and running, what happens? Yeah, I'm done with this, right? I don't, that's great, sure, that's fine, but I'm, I'm, I got something else. It's, it's what's inside of us. And I think there's people that God wants to, I mean, those kinds of people God wants to use with. There are lots of places around, close by and far into the world that need to know the name of Jesus and need to have some kind of venture or some kind of presence there that is not there yet. And we need these kinds of people to be focused on that kind of stuff. Prophets in the same way, I often, I, I maybe don't have time to walk through this whole list, but prophets, uh, I often think, they, they, have, they have this connection, they, they, they see things, uh, they're, they're led by the Holy Spirit, not that these others aren't led by the Holy Spirit, but they're led by the Holy Spirit in a way that almost always is focused on keeping us right with God. Look at the work of the prophets in all of Scripture. It is work that is focused on keeping us right with God. Now, I hope there's not a single one of us here this morning that says we don't need people like that in our church. Oh, we need lots of people like that who are focused on saying, listen, I know you have this great idea. I know you have all this compassion. I know you have all these, these wonderful things you want to do, but we have got to make sure we're staying right with God. I need people like that in this church. Often in prophets, we see this kind of, uh, I would maybe call it a holiness spirit. This drive, this focus, this emphasis that whatever we do, we cannot stray from what God wants, from what God says in his word. He has spoken. There's, that's why there's, there's a connection between the word. You know, in the Old Testament, we see them speak. Uh, we now have the inspired word of God. So I, 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 I'll give you that the, the office of a prophet may have changed from what it was in the Old Testament. We have the inspired word of God. But the drive of a prophet hasn't changed. The necessity of a prophet within the body of Christ hasn't changed. We need evangelists. They have this incessant love driven by the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what an evangelist is, is one who shares good news. And no matter what else is going on, that's what they're concerned about. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ must be proclaimed and go forth. Must be heard. If I'm not missing my mark as I say these kind of things, I'm hopeful that there's people sitting here among this group that when I say some of these things, you say, yes, that's what, that's what hits me. It speaks to me. That's the one. I, and you just have to realize that's what God has put in you. And it is not to be put aside. It's to be welcomed and to be growing. And just recognize that there may be people sitting here who don't have those things. We don't see it that way. And maybe, just maybe, sometimes you get frustrated with them because you don't see it that way. Because that's not the most important thing for them. It's not that any of these are against the others. I hope you see that, right? They're, they're not being set up opposing each other. They're being set up to, together they can accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Grace to grow. Shepherds and teachers. By the way, those are together. Uh, there's not a word thus uh, separating them. So they should be good. Often when we talk about these things, we talk about the sort of the, you maybe have heard the phrase, the fivefold ministry. According to the Greek structure, the text here, there's actually only four categories named. Shepherds and teachers are put together. And I think the reason is, is because both of them are motivated by the general uh, push to exhort people, to call them near. Uh, shepherds do it through the gentle feeding or through the caring of people. And teachers do it through the instruction of the word. But the intention is the same. The intention is to exhort and to edify and to encourage people to grow and to continue on their journey. We do see many of these, you see how this works together because we see that many of them are involved in the bringing of the gospel into a place that is where it's not at and establishing believers and sharing the good news and shepherds and teachers are often the ones that are left behind to continue that work. I would suggest to you though, a healthy church ought to have all of these represented. Now, let me make a couple of comments. We're going to run way out of time this morning, but let me make a couple of comments. By your grace, I will continue with your permission. I guess if you don't like it, you can get up and walk out and people will know you don't like it. That's fine. I won't be offended by that. All of us have these kinds of things inside of us, but I think in this text primarily this morning, Paul, because of what I'm about to say next, Paul is talking about at the leadership level of an, in a church. The leadership qualities 
of those that are tasked with, with bringing the local body to a place of growth and maturity because of what's about to come in these verses. That's the only reason I say that. There's nothing else directly given there that he says he gave these leaders. I actually think all of you have those same kind of motivations. It's why you're drawn to certain things. It's why you're willing to help with certain things and not with other things. It's why you get frustrated about certain things and not about other things. But at the leadership level, and we need this. I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could tell you stories this morning. And some of these stories, I, I, I would, could give you names. And I don't know if they, I didn't approve this. So I, don't, I probably shouldn't give names. But I say these as good things. I say these not as bad things, as good things. I can tell you, in, as, as, a, as one of the elders here at this body at Riverview, I can tell you that I have often thanked the Lord and marveled as I reflect back on our discussions as a team of elders at how I see this exact verse being fulfilled at our leadership. And, I, and I'm, I'm so grateful. I don't, I, it's not like something that I engineered or something I wanted to have happen, but I see God's hand in doing so. I can tell you there are times when we have discussions and we're wrestling with how to handle something, and one of our elders, and I won't say any names because, because uh, I, I didn't preface this, or I didn't prep them, or I didn't ask them if it's okay, but one of our elders, uh, and, and, and everything that we talk about, you know what, the, what he's constantly bringing up? How is this gonna make us look in the community? How is this gonna affect what happens in the community? And I can tell you, there are evangelistic kinds of leanings there because he's concerned that the good news would have the ability to penetrate the people we live with. I can tell you as we wrestle with that exact same issue, I'm hearing feedback from one of our elders and they are concerned about the fact that we cannot stray from what God's word says. That's the prophetic coming through and we need that. I'm so glad for it. I can tell you as we sit there, there's sometimes I hear a question that comes about, it's the same issue, and it's like, well, how is that gonna affect our people here? The people that are, how's that gonna make them feel? How, is, that, is that gonna encourage them or discourage them in their growth? And I can tell you, I'm, I'm hearing a shepherd talk. I'm hearing a shepherd talk because that's what their focus is. It's the same issue, it's the same situation, it's the same decision that's needed. And you notice already, I just gave you three examples, you notice that each of them might come up with something slightly different depending on, on, uh, on, on, their, on their vantage point, right? They might say, we should do this because this is, this is how it's gonna affect this. Which is why we must have all of them present because otherwise we're gonna start doing this as a body. And I'll just be honest with you, I think, um, I think churches tend to take on generally the shape of their main leader, so for you guys, it's me, and I have specific gifting. I don't know if you can guess which one of these is mine. I kind of gave it away a little bit ago, but it does have the unfortunate effect of sometimes kind of pulling the whole congregation that way. I don't think it's necessarily healthy, by the way. One of the things God has been spending a lot of time talking with me about is ways that I can, well, I can do what the next verse says, <laughs> that I can not make it so much about me and what I'm doing, but about what God wants to do and is doing among you and, and allowing each of your gifts and the grace that God has given you to be utilized. Well, God, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, all that time now, but there's actually something that, that comes after that. He, there's a reason he gave them. There's a reason he, he brought them out. Why is it? Well, you can read the next verse so I can just put it up there. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but when I read things like this and I really stop and think about things like this, it actually causes me a little bit of discomfort. It gives me a little bit of I don't I don't know how well we're doing. Let me be careful how I say this, because I, again, I don't mean this as a reflection of you all, because I think that's what often happens is uh, when we read these verses and we see that it's actually the saints that are to be equipped for the work of the ministry and not the leaders in the church that are supposed to be doing all the ministry. It's the saints in the church that are supposed to be doing the work of the ministry, not the leaders. And that almost always tends to result in you all getting the blame for why aren't you doing more, right? It's the classic complaint. All oh, these people come to church and they just sit there. They don't do anything. And those leaders, they do everything. But I think we have to be just as willing to turn that around and say, where are the leaders at that are actually working to make that happen and actually allowing that to happen? You see, we get a little, we get a little territorial too, don't we? I get a little territorial. There's ways that I think things should be done and then I think that's the best way because that's how I think it should be done. And when I ask you to do it, it may not be done that way. It may not be done quite as good as I'd like it to be done. I struggle with this with my children. 
right? They're not here this morning, so I can say this, I suppose. But I struggle with that. It's not a reflection on them. It's a reflection on me. <laughs> they should be here. They should hear me say it, actually. You know, I could ask my kids to do things, but, you know, they don't, they don't always, they don't ever, like, they're not like, quite right, right? And I have to go back and fix it anyway. Or I have to, this bugs me, because that wasn't quite done like I would have done it. So, you know, it's a lot easier. Come on, Dad, tell me. What's a lot easier? To just go do it myself. I would like to propose that leadership and people within the church are equally complicit for the problem of not actually living out Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. That God has given, according to the measure of Christ's gift, has given these different leadership motivations, these different things are focused on so that the gospel may go forth and the church may flourish and the, and the grace be given to grow so that, that as these leaders, what our job is is to equip, to katartismos is the word, to fully furnish the saints for the work of the ministry. And I want to be very, very clear you all, there's lots of good things that you all do. So please, please, please don't hear me say this morning that you're not doing anything and we gotta grow in this. There's a lot of really good things, ministering. I see it all the time. I see it all the time and I love it. But unmistakably for me, there's a reality that I and we as a leadership team and we as a church can grow so much in this to see that our primary purpose as elder team, me as a pastor, Joe as my associate, our primary purpose is not for us to do all the things, but is for us to equip you so that you can do all of those things. By the way, you'll be far more effective. You'll reach a lot further than any of us ever will. It's why I think we are bottlenecked all the time because we think all of it should be done by the pastor. There's a lot more that we can talk about. And Lord willing, I think through this Make Disciples stuff we're gonna talk about, and I, we're just gonna talk more about it. We have to. I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna drop the crumbs, plant the seeds, but there's a lot of stuff there. By the way, that word cathartismos, to be equipped, think of this word when Jesus used it in Luke chapter six, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained, exact same word, cathartismos, when he is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. And that, my friends, is the goal of this text. That our job as leaders is to equip the saints so that they can grow and become like their teacher, which is Jesus, not us, by the way. We're just tools that's being used. They become like Jesus. They become fully trained. They become equipped for the ministry. Real briefly this morning, I want to just give you, and these are going to be high level. We're going to spend a lot more time with them the next week, uh, Lord willing. But high level, I want to show you what Paul says is the purpose of this equipping or the result of this equipping. When the leaders of the church equip the saints for the work of the ministry, here are the results that we see. We see that there is a building up of the body of Christ. This is word oikodomeho or oikodome has already been used several times. You see it in chapter two, the end of chapter two quite a bit. He uses the exact same language of the church being built on the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, being built together into a holy dwelling place, a proper dwelling place, a fitting dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Being built together. And now we find out that the way that actually works the mechanism by how that actually happens in a church is when we see the giftings that God has given and we put, uh, especially at a leadership level, and those leaders are equipping and training and, and helping and releasing the saints within the body to do the work of the ministry. The result is the body is built up. We see a house being built that is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Now he puts this little caveat in here, or this little statement in here that I think it would be worth sharing because it's a theme that Paul has been talking about all, all along. He says this building up happens until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, there's, there's just a lot. It's it just, I, I just, I hope the Lord is going to keep this in front of us and allow us to keep digging in because we just can't do it all in one Sunday morning. First of all, I want you to notice when we can stop doing this. When can we stop equipping the saints for the work of the ministry? A few of you are catching on to what I'm going, where I'm going with this. When can we stop? Well, we can stop when this happens, right? So when's this going to happen? <laughs> Terribly unfair question, Merlin, right? Terribly unfair question. Because the answer is never until Jesus returns, right? Until we've all attained. But I want you to notice the two things that are mentioned. I think those are really key. As we work in this thing about ministering, the work of the ministry and helping each other, there's two things Paul specifically mentions. The unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Our trust, our faith, 
the place that, the, the place that even though we can't see and we may not know, but we will lead our hearts into to trust in God, the faith that we have, that we have the same faith and the same knowledge. There's a oneness in what we know about. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, that means a whole lot of this needs to be taught because that's how we get to that place. The only place we all have the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God is when we are all looking at Jesus who is revealed in Scripture, in all of Scripture. But I also would submit to you that if we're thinking about how we can minister to each other, it's going to primarily uh, land on one of those two things. Am I re- willing, am, am what, is what I am doing, is it encouraging someone to grow in their faith, their trust, their, what's sort of happening inside of them, or am I encouraging them to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God? And both are important, by the way. They both kind of work together, right? There's, it's like two rails that we have to stay on. Our faith and the knowledge that we have, they kind of work together. Much more could be said. Not much more will be said this morning about it. Again, may the Lord keep us there, uh, keep us in those things. A couple of more quick things that Paul says. By the way, these are just based strictly on the structure of the Greek words. I don't have time to go into it, but he uses the word ice, E-I-S, or into, uh, uh, three times. That's why I'm getting these three points. I'm just, I'm just letting the text build itself to let you know that Paul says the result of the gift that God uh, has given to us, that Jesus gave to us, according to his grace, uh, that's meant for our growth, is that he gave apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, teachers, uh, shepherds and teachers, and he did that so that they could equip the saints for the work of ministry, and the result is this, the body of Christ is built up, eventually you begin to see mature manhood, you begin to see the body mature, you begin to see perfection, we're supposed to be perfect as our Heavenly Father's perfect, we begin to see maturity, that's what that word means, fullness, completeness, we were striving for that goal, again the goal is growth, and we begin to see that in fact we are growing up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, what is the fullness of Christ? We've already spent some time with this, so just, just like, allow that to come back in your, what, how full is the fullness of Christ? How much is there? What are some words we used when we talked about the fullness of Christ in previous chapters? Can you remember any of them? It's beyond measure. It's unsearchable. You can't track it out. It's unknowable, right? We're supposed to know the love, but we're supposed to know the fullness of Christ that's unknowable. We're supposed to be filled with all the fullness of Christ, who fills everything, by the way, because in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. All those things were already made. And so then Paul just sort of zings it home and he says, by the way, when this happens, when the church is operating as it's supposed to, then we begin to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or if you want to translate that, we become Christ-like. Actually, that's exactly what Paul had already prayed for them. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, that's exactly what he had prayed for. He, he asked that we know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Jesus, by the way. Can I say it again, church? Make no mistake about this. It is not that the goal is being brought down. It is not that we're lowering the standard. It is not that Jesus has somehow by his great work made it easier for us or has lowered the bar for us. In fact, if anything, we should have realized that the bar is so much higher than we may have even thought. I referred to this this morning in Sunday school, so the words are still in my head. It is exactly why Jesus came to his disciples and said, you should count the cost. It will cost you to be my follower. It will cost you everything. While you're counting the cost, by the way, go ahead and count the cost of not following too. Make sure you move your timeline out far enough. Because for us, when we're counting the cost, we're very short-sighted and we tend to count the cost over the next day or week or month or maybe for a particularly long-sighted couple of years. Let's move that timeline out to, oh, about a hundred or a thousand or a million years. And let's count the cost because it will cost you. <laughs> he said, Jesus said, if you're not willing to renounce all that you have, you're not worthy of being my disciple. It will cost you everything to be his follower. The bar is extremely high, brothers and sisters. The goal is to be built up into a body that's where the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit can be that we mature into a fully grown man. Now, again, we're going to talk about this imagery a little bit more next week, but a fully grown man together as a, as a group, as a body. Not, we're not, not individually, but together as a group. Now, of course, individually we have to be growing. Uh, and into the, in fact, the whole measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ himself. 
who is the fullness of God? Like, I mean, you can't get any fuller. You can't get any bigger. You can't get any higher. That's the goal. That's the zeal. That's, that's where we're headed. That's where he wants us to be headed. The goal is high. The cost is high. But if you move the timeline out far enough, I don't think it's a stretch for any of us to understand that the cost of not following is so much higher. The cost of us sitting in church and saying, that's too much, I'm not, it's not worth going there, is so much higher. The cost of us saying, ah, this sounds like a lot of messy stuff that I, I, I'd rather just go to church every week and go back home. The cost of doing that is astronomical. And I'll also say it. I can't lower it for you. I can't say, well, it's not that hard after all. But I can tell you, if we're not willing to dig in and to allow God to have his way with us to change, as Chris exhorted us this morning, if we're not willing to explore and say, how can I keep growing until we're here? How can we together be a body that grows? If we're not willing to do that, we will spend eternity recognizing the great air of our ways. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the grace necessary to grow. And we are, I'm fully aware that I struggle with how this all works out. I don't have it all figured out. I love pat answers. I love when things all get nicely arranged and I can just sort of walk through it and explain it and, and it makes sense and it's like, oh, that's how it is. And I am just seeing by my own life and my own inadequacy, my own short-sightedness and my own sinfulness This great picture that Paul is painting leaves me so aware of how desperately I fall short and how desperately I need your grace to grow, your Holy Spirit to help us. I'm so grateful you've given it to us. I'm so grateful we spent the first three chapters of Ephesians recognizing that's exactly what you did, how the blessings we have in you, Jesus Christ, so that we might, by your grace, take those first or maybe second, or maybe a 50th, or maybe a 100th, or who knows how many steps timidly into, the, into that direction to say the bar is high, but by your grace, by your equipping as you see fit, it's not about me, it's about you. You do with me in me whatever you need to, whatever you want to, that I can participate and have a, have a, have a participation in this great project you have within the church to being the body of Christ to representing who you are, Jesus, to the rest of the world and to each other. Collectively, as a body, I give you praise and glory. I know, I know we are nowhere near the end. In fact, it feels like we're so much in the beginning. We're just, we're, just, we're just tapping. We're just scratching the surface. Jesus, by your grace, we want you to walk forth in truth and obedience to you. We want to be disciples, all of us together. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand?